Uh, it's Christmas season, and we are taking a break from our series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be looking at the minor prophets uh, during the month of December, and looking at how the prophets anticipate Christmas and look forward to uh, Jesus, uh, the Messiah. The minor prophets are tend to be hard to find in our Bibles, an easy way to find the minor prophets. Go to the end of the Old Testament, go to Malachi, and work backwards. That's the easiest way to find them. They're called uh, minor, not because they're less important, uh, but because of their length. They are actually shorter than the other prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Our first Advent passage that we're looking at is Micah. The book of Micah, chapter 5, I won't read it, it's already been read. I encourage you to uh, turn there in your Bibles, or you can look in your bulletin there in that middle section, you'll find the passage printed. I won't have time to get into all the details of this passage this morning. I want to focus primarily on one verse, uh, verse 2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Ephrathah is just an older name for Bethlehem. Uh, this prophecy obviously tells us about Jesus and where Jesus the Messiah is to be born. He is to be born in Bethlehem. And uh, we see 700 years later that this prophecy from Micah became a reality. Matthew chapter 2, you'll see that passage was also read this morning. If you look at verses 5 and 6, I encourage you to do so. Uh, King Herod is troubled by this news of Jesus being born. He assembles all the religious leaders and the scribes of the people together and he asks them, where is Jesus to be born, the Christ? And um, Micah's prophecy about Christ's birth was so well known, think about this, that the religious leaders without hesitation responded by quoting this passage, Micah chapter 5. And so uh, I want you to think about that this morning. That is amazing. It is a fact in human history, regardless of where you are with Jesus this morning and what you think about Jesus and whether or not you believe in him as your Savior. It is a fact in human history that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he walked the face of the earth. And Micah predicted it 700 years before it happened. And I want you to think about that, especially this morning if you're skeptical of Christianity. How do you make sense and explain this prediction and the fulfillment that actually happened in human history if this book is not indeed the Word of God? How do you explain that? If you're a Christian this morning, be encouraged, take heart. This book, the Bible, is supernatural. It's living and active. It is trustworthy and true, and you can base your life on this book. The astounding thing and the thing that I think we are supposed to notice in this prophecy from Micah is where the long-awaited Messiah was born. 
everyone in Micah's day, just like they were surprised in Jesus' day, uh, thought powerful Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is impressive. They did not think a little town of Bethlehem. Please note the phrase there, you'll see it in verse 2, too little to be named among the clans of Judah. This is a reference back to Joshua chapter 15 when the Israelites entered the promised land and they started assigning different cities to different regions in Israel. And so they were dividing up the promised land in Joshua 15 and there is a list of over a hundred cities assigned to the region of Judah. Bethlehem was in the region of Judah, and it was so small and so insignificant. It was a no-name town, literally, because it was so insignificant that it was not even mentioned in the list of a hundred cities. Ralph Davis is one of my favorite Old Testament scholars and commentators, and he says the primary significance of Bethlehem is its insignificance. It is not impressive. It is literally in the middle of nowhere. It's not a one-stoplight town. It is a no-stoplight town. And this teaches us, Christmas teaches us something about the way God works. It teaches us about God's ways. Jesus did not come from a powerful place like Jerusalem. He came from a lowly place like Bethlehem. He was not born into prominence. He was born into obscurity. He was not born into wealth. He was born into poverty, not into power, but in weakness. And that is the, pow- the pattern we see all the way through the scriptures. God chooses the obscure. God chooses the insignificant, lowly, and the common, and the unnoticed to be the very instruments through which he will display his glory. Why? Because he did not because he knows that if we we will take credit every chance we get and he wants the glory and so this is either challenging to you this morning or it is deeply comforting how can it be challenging well it's challenging if you're full of pride this morning and you think you're something It's challenging if you think too highly of yourself because the Bible, did you know, say if you are prideful and you think you're something, that God actually opposes you. The Bible says God opposes the proud and those who think they're strong and actually gives grace to who? The humble. And this passage is deeply comforting Uh, For those who feel small, Uh, for those this morning who feel insecure and overlooked and weak and inconsequential, because it says that those are the very things that qualify you for God. Those are the things that qualify you for his kingdom, because we see all the way through the Bible that that is who God, the weak and the lowly, is who God uses to build his kingdom. He uses the bench warmers of the world, not the MVPs. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, God chooses the foolish things of the world 
shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the strong and the lowly things of the world and the despised things. You see, we see in the scriptures and Christmas teaches us that you can be too big for Jesus, but you can't be too small. Ralph Davis also, not only does he point out the significance of Bethlehem and the smallness of it, but in its connection to King David. He says, and I love this, when Micah speaks of Bethlehem, he means not only little town, but Davidsburg. (laughs) In other words, by mentioning Bethlehem, he's wanting to bring up to our minds and to our hearts another king, King David, that we learn about in the Old Testament. Specifically, and this is an important section, as it relates to Bethlehem, remember 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, King uh, God has uh, turned away from King Saul and he tells Samuel, go to Bethlehem because my king is there. And he goes to Bethlehem and he goes to the house of Jesse and Jesse parades out in front of Samuel, all of his sons. And remember, Samuel's looking for the powerful and the put-together, and the handsome sons. And he keeps saying that one, and God keeps saying, no, not that one. I want the runt. I want David, who's not even in the room, but out in the field with the sheep, because that's my king. And David is God's chosen king, and we see God makes a covenant with David, a promise with David, one of the most significant passages in the Scriptures. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God comes to David and says, Your house, your kingdom, your dynasty will last forever. And so Micah, in in talking about Bethlehem, is taking us back, not only reminding us of its smallness, but of God's choice in David and God's covenant with David. For Micah, Bethlehem means not only birthplace, but firm promise. Look at verse 2 again. God says, this ruler, and you expect it to say, shall come forth from me. That's not what it says. Come forth for me. And so what we learn is that the coming Messiah is a provision not so much, and it definitely is, but not so much for God's people as it is a provision for God himself. For me. It's God's way of saying, I'm a promise keeper. I keep my covenant. I will fulfill all my promises that I made to King David. And you know what? He does, doesn't he? Because 700 years later, we get to the opening of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And you remember how it begins? Jesus Christ the son of David. What we learn in the scripture is that King David in the Old Testament is just a shadow of the greater David. A shadow of the one we celebrate at Christmas, the true king, the true Messiah, King Jesus. You see, we don't have time this morning to get into all of the context of this initial promise for Micah Uh, But know this, 
Micah was writing to God's people in a time where they were hopeless and helpless and things looked very bleak and they most certainly were thinking God is not a promise keeper. God has quit on us. God is not going to keep his promise to David because it looks like and it appears that David's throne and dynasty will finally come to an end. And then we get to Galatians chapter 4 and other parts of the New Testament and we learn that at just the right time, God sent His Son, Jesus, Son of God, Son of David, to come and live the life that we could never live and die the death that we deserve on a cross so that He could save His people from their sins. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 because Jesus is the son of David who is on the throne as we speak and will reign forever and ever. Did it take a long time? It took a very long time for this promise to reach its destination, but God made good on his promise, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So what's the so what? What does that have to do with your life this morning? Well, I think Christmas is a call for patience. It's a call for us to lean in and to continue to walk by faith and continue to trust God with our lives. Think about it, 700 years People waiting and walking through life, dealing with all sorts of chaos, all sorts of confusion and pain and sin. 700 people asking, 700 years of the people asking questions like we probably ask lots of time God, are you still here? Are you still uh, with me? Where are you? Is this real? Can I trust you? And all of the time, what we learn and what Christmas teaches us is that God never quits working. God never takes his hands off the steering wheel. God continues to move his plan forward in the world, and he's still doing it today. And what that means is that Christmas is meant to teach us lots of things, but one of the things that we learn from Christmas is patience and trust in God. We cannot judge God by our calendars. We cannot judge God by our sense and standard of time because to us, God seems like a slowpoke. To us, it seems like we, God has forgotten his promises and stopped working, but Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises, and that he's working out his purposes in the world. Some of you this morning are anxious and fearful. You look at the world. You look around you at the news and the chaos and the confusion scares you. You look at your own life. You have addictions that you cannot shake. You look at a marriage that is falling apart, you experience an overwhelming amount of sadness and grief. Maybe this morning you look at your relationship status and you're lonely and single and you long to be married and you're wondering if God has forgotten you. 
Or maybe you have children or family members that are not walking with Jesus and you have prayed for a very long time and you are watching them make a mess of their lives. Wherever you find yourself this morning and whatever you're struggling with, don't give up. Christmas is a call for you to keep walking by faith. It's a reminder that God is the sovereign, and by sovereign I mean He is the King that is in control of all of human history, and He's working out His promises, and He will come again, and He will make all things new. He has not forgotten you. Be patient. Your story is not over. God is at work. He knows what He's doing with your life. And so in the midst of the busyness and the frantic nature that Christmas often brings, Christmas is actually a call for us to rest and to rest in God's purposes for our lives. We live close to 459, Interstate 459, and last week Susie and I, my wife, we were enjoying the beautiful weather outside and Susie comments and says, the traffic is so loud. And I said, what traffic? Um, When we first moved in, I noticed the traffic all of the time. But as the years pass and the months pass, the traffic in 459, to me, has just become background noise. I wonder this morning how many of us have had the exact same experience with Christmas. The birth of Jesus the Messiah. Now we're so familiar with Christmas and we go through the motions and we no longer are moved by the wonder of the incarnation. The incarnation God taking on flesh and coming into this world as a baby. So that once, so that what we once celebrated and rejoiced and looked at with wonder has become background noise. How has that happened to you? Has it been where we no longer hear the notes of grace that the Christmas story brings? My prayer for all of us this Christmas season, that in the midst of the decorations and the gifts and the busyness of this type of uh, season of, of Advent, My prayer, and it's for my life too and for my family, is that Jesus would come alive. That we would see the wonder of Christmas and that we would be captivated by the beauty and the wonder of the birth of Jesus the Messiah, the one who was born in obscurity. The one who was crucified on a cross in order to save us from our sins. He is what we most need. And so will you come back this Advent season and have your heart captivated by the wonder of Christmas? God becoming man. That is amazing indeed. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of Christmas. Thank you for loving us enough to come and get us. And to rescue us from the darkness, would you forgive us for our cold hearts? Forgive us for the ways that we make Advent and what this season means uh, simply background noise. Holy Spirit, come. Give us humility.
Help us to see Jesus and celebrate Christmas like never before. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.